and all that they do. Isn't that amazing? Thanks, guys. That was, that was great. Thank you. Well, welcome. Uh, if you're a guest, we're in a series called The Imperfect Church, and what we're doing is we're reading the letters in the book of Revelation that were written to seven different churches in ancient Turkey. Uh, they all have problems because every church is imperfect. It's made up of imperfect people. If you were looking for the perfect church, we've said a couple times in this series, uh, you ruined it when you walked in the door. So thanks a lot for that. Uh, there's no perfect church. And so we're listening to what Jesus, the leader and master and Lord of the church, would say to the churches and to us. And so uh, I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And we're going to read aloud uh, one of these letters and look at what it means for our life today. Uh, I will read it aloud. It'll be on the screen and you can follow along. Guys, I'm going to need it on the back screen because I'm struggling <laughs> with my... <laughs> what does that say? Uh, Should have warned readers. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your, servants and pers- your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless... I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Turn to your neighbor and say, not a good idea. (laughs) Who calls herself a prophet by her teaching. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, because she taught them these things, I will not impose on any any burden uh, on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. But I will also give that one the morning star. And then this line that's in virtually every one of the letters. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As you sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, I've got ears. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, a, heavy, a heavy subject, and um, uh, I really want to talk to you as, as your pastor because I love you, and I, I really want good things for you in your life, and so uh, I'm willing to talk to you about something that's, that's heavy and hard to hear and difficult to hear uh, because I, I really want good things for you, and, and the thing I want to talk to you about this morning and that this letter gives us a case study in, uh, and I'll give you the background of this if you're going, what in the world is he talking about in that letter? I want to talk to you about the person uh, that you are becoming. What I mean by that is I want to talk to you about your character. Your character. Uh, Your character is what you are known for. Your character is when people bring up your name, the things they say about you, the kind of person you are, the the attitude that you carry, the the heart that you have, the the feelings that you let out, the the words that you say. Your character is who you are. Um, You will be known, I I say this to you often if you've been around, that uh, we're all going to 
have to pass the box test. You're going to be in a box at the front of the room, and people are going to stand up and say things about you. Listen, let me say that to you in a different way. If your son or daughter are here, hopefully you have a good relationship with them when that moment comes. When they stand up and they've got written on the piece of paper, because this is what always happens at the funeral, they have a piece of paper and they come and they unfold that piece of paper. Prepared words. On that piece of paper is not going to be your resume. What they're going to do is they're going to say things about the kind of person that you are, the kind of person that you were. They're going to talk about your character. Don't make them lie. Uh, this, this Bible right here, this is my mom's Bible that she had as a, 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 a girl, and there's all kinds of quotes from her. My mom passed away when I was young, and, and so I, I cherish this and, and preach out of it, but she also gave me a Bible, and uh, she underlined things she wanted me to know. And um, she would make me memorize verses of Scripture. I can say a, a lot of verses of Scripture because my mom made me, when I was a kid, memorize it. And, and one of them was in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. This is what it says. It's very important. Listen. A good name is more desirable than great riches. In other words, your character matters more than your bank account. Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, I, I was kind of going. I was going over my message last night, like I do on Saturday nights, and um, I, I saw that Senator John McCain passed away yesterday. Uh, he's not been doing well, and. Uh, Obviously, his family's been preparing for this because he said, I'm not going to take any more treatment. And his daughter uh, had written a tribute to her father, and I just, it fits so well what we're, we're talking about this morning. I thought, man, I've got to print that off and read that to you. And so I want to read you, it's not, not really long from his daughter, Megan, uh, what she says about him. Because this, this, this is what I want someone to say about me. I hope it's some, the kinds of things you want someone to say about you. Listen. Uh, my father, U.S. Senator John McCain, departed this life today. I was with my father at his end as he was with me at my beginning. In the 33 years we shared together, he raised me, taught me, corrected me, comforted me, encouraged me, and supported me in all things. He loved me, and I loved him. He taught me how to live. His love and his care, ever-present, always unfailing, unfailing, took me from a girl to a woman, and he showed me what it is to be a man. All that I am is thanks to him. Now that he's gone, the task of my lifetime is to live up to his example, his expectations, and his love. My father's passing comes with sorrow and grief for me, my mother, brothers, and sisters. He was a great fire who burned bright, and we lived in his light and warmth for so very long. And we know that his flame lives on in each of us. The days and years to come will not be the same without my dad, but they will be good days filled with life and love because of the example he lived for us. My father is gone, and I miss him only as an adoring daughter can. But in this loss and in this sorrow, I take comfort. John McCain, hero of the Republic, and to his little girl, wakes today to something more glorious than anything on this earth. Today the warrior enters his true and eternal rest, greeted by those who have gone before him, rising to meet the author of all things. Woo! I'll take that, right? Uh, you only get those kinds of things said about you if you're a person of character. If you're not a person of character, they don't say those kinds of things about you. They make stuff up. They find something. Oh, he loved to fish. I'm telling you that because that's what I've, I, I've been there when they've had to make it up. 
uh, the, the way you grow in your character is that you have to examine yourself, and the reason most of us don't grow in our character is because we don't want to examine ourselves. Uh, parents, you know this. You know if your child, if you don't correct their course, that they turn into a certain kind of person that you don't like. And you try to guide them toward a person of character. Bosses know this. Teachers know this. Coaches know this. The problem is that we don't want to admit this. We don't like to look inside at ourselves. And, and think about it like this. Uh, if you have your character, that's, that's the kind of person that you are. It, your character determines what you will do and what you won't do, what you will allow and what you will not allow. I, I, in scrolling through all the life of uh, John McCain that was posted on social media, came across a beautiful clip. It was about 30 seconds long. Um, he was at a, a, a campaign rally when he was running for president and one of the last cycles, last two times he ran for president. And, and someone stood up and they said, you know, I don't like the other candidate and I'm worried about him and I hear terrible things about him and uh, he's not a good person is what she was implying. And he started shaking his head, took the mic from her. You know, she was a supporter of his on his side of the aisle of the party. He said, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. He's not those things. He's a decent man who I have basic disagreements with about important things. His character wouldn't allow him to say, let, allow those kinds of things to be said about another person that he knew better about. And, and your character, if you, if you have a lot of character and a lot of competence, you have potential for great good in your life. If you have a lot of, char- if you have a, a lot of character and not a lot of competence, you can have a limited amount of good in your life. If you have no character and no competence, you know, you're not going to do a lot of harm. You'll do some, but not a lot. But this is the, this, here's the kicker. If you have a lot of competence, you're really good at what you do, and you have no character, oh, man, the harm, the great harm you can do. That's why I hope you all, you, you, when you look to leaders, you always say, I hope they're people of character in addition to being people of competence. And if you're going to grow your, your character, you, you've got to ask yourself some questions. You've got to ask yourself some really hard questions. Um, you've got to ask questions like, am I okay hearing the truth about myself? Or when someone tells me the truth about myself, I think we've got a slide they're going to put up for you with these questions on it. Or, or when I hear the truth about myself, uh, do, I, do I run away? Do I shut down? Do I yell? No, I don't want to hear that about Am I okay hearing the truth about myself? Uh, do I listen to what I need to hear or what I want to hear? Well, no, I, I don't know about you. I, I only want to hear the things I want to hear. I don't want to hear the things I need to hear. Maybe you're better than me. You probably are. Uh, do, uh, do I know who in the end I'm going to listen to? In other words, do I have uh, the court of opinion that matters the most? Do I, do I know who in the end, when all has been said and done, do I know whose opinion I'm going to say, that's the opinion that matters the most? And, and for most of us that don't grow in our character, the court of opinion that matters the most is me. And that's a problem. Maybe the thing that characterizes uh, these questions that not being answered well that I've seen <laughs> is American Idol, the show American Idol. And, and specifically, if my wife and I, when it came out, we just used to love sitting and watching it. We haven't done that in a while, and they've rebooted, I think, the series. But uh, if you don't know what it is, it's a, a singing competition, and um, these judges brutally critique you, and then the best of the best makes it on, and, you know, Carrie Underwood and Kelly Clarkson, they're all winners of American Idol. And, and, uh, but there's always, and they make it really funny, but there's always people who cannot sing to save their life. And they show up and they sing, and they're terrible. And then the judges tell them, 
you're terrible. Why are you here? And they will say some version of, how can you think that I'm terrible? People have told me my entire life, I'm fantastic. What are you talking about? They have been unable to hear the truth about themselves. I wanted you to see this. This is funny. It's worth a laugh. Watch this. But you know what it's all about. Yes, sir. Okay, who are you as good as, in your opinion? The lead singer from uh, Queen. Freddie Mercury. Yes, yes, sir. Really? Okay. And right, what are you going to sing today? Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. <laughs> all right. All right. Is this the real life? <laughs> or is this just fantasy? in my life but I've got to tell you that is possibly the weirdest I've ever heard in my life I mean it was it was like a, a one-year-old singing that song <laughs> Ooh, no, but, no I'm not being harsh Stephen if that's what it was like I mean it was weird oh, I'm also a little off practice as well too I mean the last time I took formal lessons was back in high school all right uh, what did the instructor say Back then, I was getting all A's in, uh, in concert choir. You think that would win you this competition? Actually, with some practice and with, uh, with some, some coaching, I can actually win it. I think so I So it's could. just lack of practice and coaching which is the problem? Yes, sir. Right. <laughs> what do you say to that? That's, that's a picture of not wanting to hear the truth. Now, this letter to the, the church in Thyatira is actually a case study in character in people who were allowing things that did not support the growth of their character. And, and all these letters follow the same kind of pattern. Uh, there's commendations from Jesus. There's some critiques. Uh, there's some promises. And then some, there's some warnings. And here, there's a very, uh, very severe warning uh, in this. And, and make sure we're on the same page when we talk about warnings. Warnings are things that have consequences. When I was a, a, a young boy, I was probably eight or nine years old, I was just learning to read really well, and uh, I went downstairs one day, and uh, where the washer and dryer were, I pulled off the, the big red bottle of Era soap, and I read it, and, and I looked at it, opened it, and it didn't smell right, and, and then I read the label, and I could, read, I could read the label, right, and it said, WARNING, all caps letters, and this is how I read it as a little eight or nine-year-old boy, FATTLE IF SWALLOWED. I, I, looked, I was like, FATTLE, what is... What does faddle mean? Well, there's the word fat in it. I guess that means if you swallow this, you get fat. And I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I, 
I, I didn't want to be fat, and so I went, well, I put the lid back on, I put it back up on the shelf. <laughs> Some of you are still like, what fatal? What's that fatal, right? I <laughs> misread it as a little eight or nine-year-old. I'm sure there are things now that are fatal if, sw- or fatal if swallowed, like donuts, and that might be my problem. I don't know, but uh, warnings have consequences. You ignore a warning, you suffer the consequences. And so in this letter to the church in Thyatira, uh, there are consequences for ignoring their character. Thyatira was a trade town. It was a town full of uh, tr- different guilds, different, um, they weren't quite like unions, a lot like unions, but not exactly. And uh, in that day, kind of like in ours, but it was more amplified in, in that day, if you were one of the elites, if you were one of the senators, one of the, the wealthy, you looked down on anybody who was a common laborer, and you thought that they were beneath you. There was a very hierarchical class system. And uh, so if you were a tradesperson, you took a special pride in your ability to do a trade that no one else could uh, at the expense of the approval of the people above you on the food chain. And, and so uh, there were all these different guilds. There was wool and candle and candles and leather. And, and there were a couple they were very, very proud of. They were the source of purple dye. You had to go get this special fish and then extract the, the dye out of the fish. And purple was the color that was worn by the senators and the emperor. And so they had this claim to fame as a, a city that they uh, were the ones who gave the purple dye for the entire empire, for all the nobility. And they, they felt really proud about that. And um, if you know Acts chapter 16, Acts is the book in the New Testament that's the Acts of the first disciples of Jesus. And, and a woman was converted to Christianity. Her name was Lydia. And she was, uh, Acts 16 says, a dealer in purple cloth and purple dye. She was from Thyatira. And then they also had, uh, they were very proud of, they were the source of what was known as burnished bronze. Burnished bronze uh, was their form of a mirror. They didn't have the technology to make, you know, silver over glass. And, and so they would take bronze, heat it up, and then shine it really well, and that would be mirrors. And their, their mirrors would go all uh, over the empire. And so when you hear Jesus say, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, he's, he's saying, listen, uh, this is somebody who sees you, and if he, when he, if he has to crush your head, you're going to see it coming because it's going to shine like a mirror. And he says, uh, I, I know, and this is the commendation, so listen, I know your deeds, and I know your love, and I know your servants, service, and I know your perseverance. He says, listen, you're a loving church. You love people. Uh, you serve people, man, you care about the region and you love it and you, you serve it and you persevere, you stick it out when things get hard, you don't bail. I mean, this is a great, if this was a local church and you were looking for a local church, you would want to be a part of the church of Thyatira because it was a great church. I mean, hashtag best church ever and you would post the selfie, I love my church, it's great. Yeah, that's the kind of church that Thyatira was. But listen to what he says. This is a character problem. He says, nevertheless, verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Bad idea. Let me give you some bad ideas because tolerating the woman Jezebel is a very bad idea. Let me give you some bad ideas that I entertained 
in my youth. Uh, when I was in, in college, I worked for the college, and I traveled this seven-state region with these other guys and representing the school. And, and one of the places we went was in southern Missouri, and there's this, this really amazing state park called Johnson's Shut-Ins. It's a natural water slide, and when you get down to the water slide, there's this big, opens up to this big pool, and around the pool, there is a picture of it, are these cliffs that you can go cliff jumping. And so I climbed up. You see that guy's jumping down. I climbed all the way up there. There's a little path you could climb all the way to the top. You can't really see it in the picture, but at the bottom are big boulders. And, and you can't tell really from the angle. But when you jump, you, when you look down, what you're looking at is giant boulders that you are going to crush yourself upon unless you leap over them. So I, I thought, okay, it's about 40 feet or so, and I, I'm, I'm up there, and everyone's egging me on, like, jump, jump, jump. I had on sandals, and, and I'm, okay, I, I learned when I was a little kid going over the high dive that you just count to three, and then you just do it. And so I'm like, okay, here we go. Here we go. One, two, whoop, and I slipped. Whoa! Bad idea. I'm still here, so I didn't hit the rocks, right? You can use it. Bad idea. Bad idea. Another bad idea, I was a little kid, my neighbor, next door neighbor had made a pool out of a horse tank. We got a picture of, of one that's similar to that, not the actual one. Uh, but uh, I, I snuck over the fence, I was again probably the same age that I didn't drink the stuff that I thought would make me fat, and, and I, I went over and across, laying across, it was empty, was a ladder. And uh, I got on the ladder and I thought it'd be fun to climb across the ladder to the other side, and then I climbed back again, and I got in the middle and I thought, oh, I don't want to climb across the ladder, I'll just jump. So I didn't understand inertia and force, and for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I didn't understand the physics principle, right? So I push my feet against the side of the ladder, and I jump, and the ladder whoosh out from underneath me, and I landed just far enough to what felt like slice my legs off at the shin on the edge of the horse tank. Bad idea, bad idea. Pain and suffering was the result of the bad idea. This is the bad idea. This is the character flaw of the church of Thyatira is that they tolerated what John says is the teaching of this woman, Jezebel. Now let me tell you a little bit more about those trade guilds. When you would belong to one, each of them had their own god that they would worship or pray to for blessings, and so they would have ceremonies for their specific god. And so you would, if you were part of the guild and you wanted to earn a living, you would be, you would participate in a ceremony, and the ceremony would go something like this. They would come and they would bring wine, and they would drink some, and then they would offer some to that god. Oh, God, bless us. Make our trade prosperous. Uh, then they would eat a meal, and that meal, they would take a portion of the food, and they would sacrifice it to that idol, so to speak, and they would set it aside. Oh, God, bless us our trade, make, a, make us prosperous and give us plenty of business. And then they would engage in a meal and they would eat and drink and 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 drink and drink and drink and drink. And at the end of that, they would engage in all kinds of activities that I'll leave to your imagination. And if you wanted to earn a living, you needed to participate in those ceremonies. And so this presented a huge problem if you were a Christian because to participate in the guild, you had to find some way around that or you had to choose to compromise your character. And there was a woman there who was saying to them, hey, listen, this is not that big a deal. You need to feed your family. Just do it. It'll be fine. 
Uh, many, this is a picture of an oracle. Many people think this was a woman there that was an oracle. This most famous, famous one is the oracle at Delphi. But you would go, travel a distance, and uh, you would pay this woman a, a price and say, here's the situation that I'm facing, and uh, she would give you an answer. She would kind of divine what might happen in your future, and, and there was an oracle there. Some people think that was the person. But John says that that person was Jezebel. Now, if you don't know who Jezebel is, you'd have to reach all the way back into the Old Testament, into the book of First Kings, which is the history book of the Israelites. And you would read about Jezebel. She was the queen of Ahab, the king of Israel. She was the daughter of another king of si- the nation of Sidon, where they worshipped Baal and the Asherah pole. I'll describe that in a second. Uh, but she was, if think Cruella de Vil and the Wicked Witch of the West, this was Jezebel. Uh, there was a time when a, uh, a, a, an upper crust person had a vineyard that the king wanted, and he went to the guy and said, hey, listen, I would like to buy your vineyard. And he said, you know, I don't want to sell my vineyard. I, I, I like it. It's my family's. <sighs> he was really mad, went home, told Jezebel about it, and she said, uh, I'll take care of that. She orchestrated a political um, act where this man ended up being killed. We would probably, if it got reported in the news today, it would be Vineyard Gate. And she had him killed and handed the vineyard over to her husband. She made it her personal mission to stamp out the worship of Yahweh, uh, of the one true God, the, of the Israelites, because she didn't like it. And she came from Baal, and the Asherah pole is a fertility god. And uh, I was going to show you a picture of the fertility god. And when I saw the picture, I thought, I don't think I can show that on a Sunday morning in, in a service. And you can imagine what would happen to curry that god's favor. And she made a, a, she said, you know, guys, this is, this is just good. This is just fine. And so Jesus is saying to the church, listen, what you've done is, is in tolerating that person's teaching and saying it's okay, you're basically saying Jezebel was fine. And what you've done is you have compromised your character because you've tolerated that woman. This is the this is the problem with their characters. See, again, your character is what you will do or won't do. It's what you will, will allow or won't allow based on your picture of what's good. And they were tolerating this. Now, you've you got to understand, tolerance is, is a virtue in a pluralistic society like ours. We, tolerance is a very important virtue. And as Christians, um, we need to engage in tolerance in a pluralistic society because what tolerance in a pluralistic society pluralistic society is, is you say, okay, well, you see it this way, and you have this set of values, and I see it this way, and I have this set of values, and if we could tolerate each other and not throw stones at each other, we can all get along. That's an act of love to say, you may not see it like me or agree with me, but I will tolerate you. That's tolerance. But this is a different kind of tolerance. This is a tolerance inside the church. Remember, remember the, the, the majority of the New Testament is not written to people who are outside of the, the fold of following Jesus. They're just... It's written to Christian people. And, and so Jesus is saying to the Christian people, don't you tolerate that too? Why are you tolerating that? Because the word there means you just let it be. I mean, just let it slide. Is it really that big a deal? Maybe because of your job and what's required to succeed at your job, you've felt that sense of like, I, I think, I mean, I guess it's okay if I compromise my character just this, I mean... Have you ever felt that? The, the temptation to compromise your character is powerful. And, and the reason Jesus says don't tolerate that is because we're, we're moral people. Here's what I mean by that. If you studied moral philosophy, uh, moral philosophy is about what is the good? 
some of the people in writing about Senator McCain said he, his, he held to his ideals because of what he believed would be the most good for the most people. Being moral just means you're interested in what's good for people. So to be immoral would be to say, I'm interested in the things that will hurt people. And so as Christians, we say, listen, we think that the, the, the way you practice using your body is either good and helps people or it hurts people. And so don't hurt people. We don't want to be immoral people. And so there's this heavy warning that's given and said there's going to be suffering and there's going to be death. Your, your character ought to come with a warning label. And the warning label ought to read something like, warning, suffering will result if you misuse. So how do we, how do we strengthen our character? I want to give you three, uh, three shifts that you're going to need to make if you're, you want to grow your character. And at the end of your life, you want to have things read about you like were read about Senator McCain. Here's the first thing, is that you've got to be okay uh, with siding with God's assessment of things. Be okay siding with God's assessment of things. Whenever I talk about morality, uh, most people will say, well, you're getting all judgy. You're telling us we've got to be all judgy. No, that's not what I'm saying. We misunderstand how that word gets used. There's two senses of that word. One is that we assess, and you do this, and I do this all the time. We're always assessing. You go to the dentist. The dentist looks at your teeth, and you know what the dentist does? He judges your teeth. How dare he? What he's doing is he's assessing. You know, that's a cavity. That's good. He's not telling you you're an awful human being. He's just saying this is the condition of your teeth. Uh, there's the other sense that we don't want to do, and that's that we condemn, and we say, you're a terrible, what kind of person would let their teeth get in? God hates people with cavities. But we're talking about assessing, uh, because here, here's our problem with assessing, and, and being okay with siding with God's assessment, is because too often what Christians do, one, they forget that this is a message written first to us, and that we have to take it seriously. But two, we say, well, I don't really want to take it seriously myself, so I'm going to use it against someone else so I can be right. And we use morality like a sword to cut people. When what morality is meant to be, people who are of strong character, it's meant to be like a salve. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd get a sunburn and you'd come in? Maybe this never happened to you, but I'd come in, you know, like beet red, and my mom would go and she would get the salve. And she would come, and she, because of my relationship with her, I trusted her, and so I'd let her close. And so she would take, and she would apply the salve, and I would go, <sighs> See, we run away from people with swords, but we, we go toward people we trust with salve. See, morality is meant to be something that we apply gently to heal, not a sword to cut and be right. But it starts with saying, you know, whatever God's assessment of any situation I'm always going to side with that, even if I don't personally agree. Uh, second thing is this, is you've got to get used to listening to the truth about yourself. Remember those three questions I asked you at the beginning? Are you willing to hear the truth about yourself? You've got to ask for feedback. Periodically, I'll ask my kids, I'll say, hey, uh, how am I doing as your dad? I just ask them one-on-one, how, how am I doing as your dad? Not that long ago, uh, one of my kids said, well, dad, at night, you're really mean if you went to bed. <laughs> but you know what? He was right. I went on a trip and uh, came back. When I come back, I always hug him. You know, hey, missed you. Did you miss me? 
And he was just kind of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, is it because you feel like dad's been mean? Yeah. So I worked on that, and now I go to him, and I, I've, I've said, you know, just recently, hey, how am I doing? Am I doing better? Yeah, dad. Let me, let me give you, a, if you're, you're like, well, how, do, how would I practically do that? Let me give you a question to ask at lunch today, okay? To the people in your life. This will make for a very interesting conversation at lunch. Am I doing anything you wish I'd do differently? Am I doing anything you wish I'd do differently? And then do you listen to what you need to hear or what you want to hear? Or do you just surround yourself with people who aren't growing? Or do you surround yourself with people who are growing and who love God? And then in the end, do you know who it is that you're going to listen to? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, what you have said, and I'm holding you to this, what you have said is, I will always side with God's opinion. I may live in a culture that prizes or values whatever, but if God has a different opinion, I will take God's opinion over that. I'll try and figure out why, and I'll try and understand it. And, but I'll always, in the end, it's God's opinion that matters the most. And I'll do my best as a fallible human being to understand that and put that into practice. And this is the third thing, is you've got to hold on to what you have. This is the words of the letter, Jesus to the church. Hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have. And this is the words of Jesus to you. You. Jesus is saying to you, hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. See, as Christians, we say uh, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples are looking up and then the angels come and they say, this same Jesus that you have seen go into heaven will return in the same way that you... We're looking forward to the return of the rightful Lord of the world and the universe who's going to make everything right. We look forward to that. It gives us great hope. You read the book of Revelation at the end, we'll talk about it in a few weeks. There's great hope because he's going to return and make everything right. And so we live in that. So we hold on to what we have. And what we have right now is Jesus. Because listen, Jesus came for people with compromised character. Jesus came for people who've made the wrong choice over and over and over again are in such a mess. They have no idea how to get out of it. Listen, if you want to change your character and you want to change your story and you want to change the destiny of your life and your kid's life, the thing that you need that is going to heal your broken character is the love and grace of God applied to you like salve. Because then it heals the reasons you were doing all those dumb things and you go, oh, I don't need those things to get approval or feel like I'm somebody or feel better about myself. I have the approval of the one who made me and loves me the most. And your character begins to heal. And then you, then you go, well, I, don't, I may not understand all this. This doesn't all make sense. But I got Jesus, and I'm going to hold on to Jesus until he comes. With everything that I've got, I'm going to hold on to Jesus until he comes. One of my favorite verses of Scripture, it's one of my, if, if I had a life verse, this would be one of them, is in Psalm 73. And uh, I'll, I'll read it to you. Psalms, the psalmist says, listen, he says, there was a time in my life when I was a senseless brute. I was ignorant before you, God. And then he says these beautiful words. It just kind of encapsulates what I'm saying to you today. Psalm 73, verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Get, get the image, okay? When I'm with my kids and we're going through a big crowd of people, you know what I do? I take my hand, I reach down, I say, give me your hand. And they'll put their hand, their little hand in my big hand. And they know, as long as they hold on to dad's hand, it's going to be okay. 
It's when they let go. They're like, oh, where's dad? Where's mom? Where's... He says, you, you hold me by my right hand. See, hold on. I got you. You guide me with your counsel. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. Okay, Lord, I'm listening. And afterward, you will take me into glory. And afterward, you will take me into glory. So hold on to what you have. What you have is Jesus until he comes. Hold on. Hold on. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm holding on. Why don't you stand with me? Uh, do something for me, would you? This is your own personal moment. This is some, some, uh, some, some business you can do with God yourself. Uh, I find it helpful to use my, my hands sometimes. And if you take your hands and turn them palm down like this, and um, in your own way, just talk to God and say, okay, God, I want to examine my character, and there's some things in my character I need to let go of. And these are the things, as you're holding your hands, maybe you want to shake that off. Shake your hands. What's your character like right now? What would people say about you? Now I invite you to turn your hands uh, over with your palms facing up. And for wherever you are on the character journey, you can receive the grace of God because the grace of God is for people with no character and for people with great character. And it's the grace of God that fills in the cracks. Maybe you'd say, God, I, want to, I need to receive that. I need that. I need your help. I need help. Don't know what to do. I need help. God, it's hard for us to look at ourselves because it's, uh, we're, we, many of us have received so many messages all of our life about how we never measure up. We never get it right. And so we think you're the greatest version of telling us that we just never get it right. And so we run away from the truth instead of understanding that the truth is a salve. It brings healing to us. Some people have misused that and they've hurt us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, re-envision uh, our minds and our hearts so that we'd see the truth is a gift from you. The truth about ourselves is a gift from you to grow our character. And thank you, God, that the grace of God is available to every person in this room and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly, upright lives in this present evil age, as you said to Timothy. And so we receive right this moment the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you came for broken people like us. We receive it right now. And we tell you thank you for it. And we commit ourselves to being people of character, who are known as people of integrity and in character in your name and for your sake and for your glory. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. You're sent out to love God, love people, serve the world. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.